Amen. Um, well, thank you, Jim. And uh, for those who don't know, do not know me, my name is Kyle Jacobson. I'm sorry to disappoint. Uh, Jim did send out an email to try to, to uh, warn you that Dr. Young is not here tonight. And so for those who got swindled, I'm sorry. Um, but uh, um, normally I come in, I want to give you a report about senior high because sometimes I feel like I'm almost a missionary. Um, I'm back there and y'all don't get to see me and know what in the world's going on back there. So I like to give you a report. But I'm not because I have, uh, I have a lot to get to tonight. And before I start, uh, I need to be very, very honest with y'all. Uh, I'm going um, to be almost painfully honest throughout, throughout this, uh, this lesson tonight. I have a, a, a lot of uneasiness right now in my, my heart. And it's not because, well, yes, anytime I come into a new room, there is the, the uh, desire to impress and to make people think, well, that Kyle, wow, I wish I had my senior high students in that ministry and, you know, all those things. So I have that anxiety, but there's a different type of anxiety tonight because um, you have to be kind of out of your mind to come into a room like this where you get to teach maybe one time a year and... and um, and bring a rebuke. I mean, that's crazy. Uh, and uh, and, and I, I realized that. And so much so that, that when Dr. Jung asked me to teach, I had a text in mind, by the way, be finding Jonah chapter four. Um, uh, I had a text in mind the minute he asked me to teach. It's, a, it's a, a text that's been on my heart for a while. I wrote a seminary paper on it. And, uh, and, and so, and I've fought God a lot. Uh, even last night, my wife is here somewhere, and uh, and 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 I, she thought I was doing something else today, and I just saw her. I was like, by the way, we're doing Jonah four. She's like, oh, so you went in that direction? Yes. Um, I wrestled with God, and I've started realizing how ironic. I feel like I'm the one running, like Jonah did, um, and so. Um, so for, through, I, I can give you more details of how I landed here, but I think that, 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 again, that would take away from what we're trying to do tonight. So know that that's, uh, there's an uneasiness to this. Um, I think there's almost an insanity to this. Um, but I feel like God has led us to this point for, for, some, um, for some reason. Um, and whether I, I, the reason why I think I connect to Jonah 4, unlike most texts in, 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 in Scripture, is because I find myself, I, I, relate, um, I relate very well to Jonah, uh, much more than I wish I, I did. I, I kind of understand Jonah. I feel Jonah's uh, anger and frustration. Uh, I wish that wasn't the case. I wish I could stand up here and be like, man, I really connect with Daniel or Jeremiah, or some, one of the, but no, I connect with the worst prophet in the Old Testament. Like, I, like his story like connects with me unlike any other prophets. You know, Jonah really is, is an anomaly when it comes to the prophets in the Old Testament. First off, you know, he comes on the scene in 2 Kings, I think chapter 14, under the reign of Jeroboam II, and Jonah gets to do something that no other prophet gets to do during that time period. Bring a happy message he gets to tell, hey, the borders will expand, there'll be peace and prosperity, which is unthinkable because Israel, the northern kingdom at this time, has, has been a century plus uh, entrenched in Baal worship. They have not had one good king yet. They have uh, rebelled um, steadfastly against God. And Jonah comes on the scene and he doesn't bring a message of judgment, but a message of, hey, good times are ahead for us. He's an anomaly. But he's also an, an anomaly when you open up the book of Jonah to 1 verse 1. And when you see the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. 
And Douglas Stewart, in his excellent commentary on Jonah, points out that that that, that phrase, the word that word the Lord coming, some sort of way that that, that phrase um, appears over a hundred times in Scripture. And there's only one man, one prophet who receives the word of the Lord and runs the the other way. Some of the prophets, you know, they're, they're fearful, they're reluctant, they don't execute things well. But there's only one that runs away. And that's not a small thing. Um, you know, if uh, I've had not like crazy run-ins with the law, but I've had run-ins with the law. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, you know, when a judge says, um, you need to show up to court, at a certain time and a certain day, that's not one of those things where you go, ah, nah, nah, I don't, I don't think I'm gonna do that. That comes with a, a great price if you choose to do that. How much more, would, if that is our response to the thrice holy God, the creator of all things, how much greater is that rebellion? You know, we're not rebelling against a human judge, we're go, rebelling against the judge, and so Jonah's response of rebellion and running is an anomaly and it is a great sin. And Jonah throughout the book, one of the grand themes, the beautiful themes in the book of Jonah is how God relentlessly pursues rebels. He relentlessly pursues Jonah into the bowels of that ship. As he, he, he sends the storm and, and the, 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 the great fish that swallows up Jonah and, and spits him on the land and Jonah gets recommissioned to go to Nineveh. I mean, Jonah has experienced great grace, huge grace, grace that, that none of us will get to see probably like, like that, where we get to spend a couple of days in the belly of a fish. I mean, Jonah's had some wild experiences and by the time we get to jo- chapter four, he really should have it figured out by now, shouldn't he? I mean, to receive the type of grace that he's received, to watch God pursue him into the bowels of a ship as he has rebelled and fleed from the presence of God. By the time we get to chapter four, he should have it figured out. And this is why I connect with him so well. He still doesn't get it. His, he, his hypocrisy and legalism and self-righteousness is, is so much on display in chapter, uh, chapter four. And so as much as I wanna say, boy, I connect with the courage of Daniel, I find myself connecting better with the rebellion of Jonah. And, uh, and so how we're gonna divide up this text, you're gonna notice that, that God poses this question to Jonah twice. Once in verse four, and I think the other one's in verse nine asking Jonah, why are you angry? Do you have the right to be angry? Jonah has two episodes where he is enraged. We're gonna talk about that. But before we do, we, we need to say one quick thing about anger, actually two quick things about anger. You know, I think we all, from time to time, can get angry, right? It's a sin that uh, we don't really address much. It's kind of more of a respectable sin. It's a common sin, um, but I think we would be wise to, to, to look deeply into our anger. Because when you dive into your anger and look deeply into your anger, what you will find is something that you love too much, uh, an inordinate love. A lot of times we, when we think of anger, we don't think, we don't think of love as something that's closely connected, intertwined with anger, do we? 
Like, as a matter of fact, I think, when I think of anger, usually love is the opposite, the antonym of anger. But when we really examine anger, we realize that love and anger are actually very, very much intertwined. Um, some very smart people, as I was doing a series on the seven deadly sins, I talked about anger, and I came to the re- re- realization that anger is the reaction the response of something that I love has been threatened. When something that I greatly love gets threatened, my response is anger. C.S. Lewis says it this way, anger is the fluid love bleeds out when you cut it. Cut love and what bleeds out, it's anger. When, ang- when my love is threatened, my response is anger. And so I have an older brother, my family's here, and they could, um, I wish he was here. Um, and, and, and this is not a bad story on him. I, I love my older brother. And one of the things I respect most about him is how much he protected me growing up. And if you wanna see him go from zero to 100 like that when it comes to rage, um, threaten his family or now his wife or his son or his mom. I mean, we have had some embarrassing public instances with my older brother um, because of his because of his deep love for his family. Family gets threatened, the response is anger. You know, as I'm trying to raise, Jen and I are trying to raise my one-year-old son, I've quickly, I'm already seeing that 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 little boy knows how to disobey already. Like he just, he gets it. I mean, didn't, just, just, he understands and he's, it's very intentional. And you know, and he's at the age where I'm like, are you, are you really? Yeah, you are disobeying me. And, um, you know what, I find it's, it's interesting that I do discipline already in anger, but my anger's uh, heightened just a little bit more when my son disobeys me in public. Why is that? Well, because I, I, I kind of love um, people's opinion of me, their approval of me, their, their, their adoration of me, and, and my son making me look bad in front of you uh, threatens my, kind of my appearance, and uh, so my response is, is, is much more anger than if I was at home. Um, also, a guy named David Powelson points out that, that, that our anger, usually when, we're, when we get angry, it's also it exposed to the fact that we have this desire to play God and our world isn't going the way we want it to go. Uh, for instance, I, when I get to a, tr- it's so weird, a red light, how that can make me mad. That's an inanimate object. It's a, it's a red light why am I angry? This thing has not sinned against me, but my world is not going the way I want it to go, and it's exposing the fact that I just kind of want to play God. Or when the sweet, um, we have some elderly people in here, so I better be careful. Um, the person, there's a person that doesn't drive the speed limits, and, uh, and I am angry, and they have done nothing to sin against me but they are not operating the way I want them to. And so because I want to play God and I want to have the right to judge and rule over things, and and when my will is not being done, my response is anger. And so when Jonah gets angry, it exposes him, just like it exposes us. And so tonight, as we look at these two episodes of Jonah's anger, we're gonna gonna look at what he gets angry, what what angers him, why is he angry, what's the cause? And then... um, What's the deeper root to it? And then how does it apply to us? So that's uh, two points tonight. Um, and they all are examining the anger of, of Jonah. And so the first one, the first episode, Jonah is angry because a city is not destroyed. That's the first reason why he is furious. In chapter three, we see something phenomenal happen. Jonah goes and, and preaches to Nineveh. Nineveh repents and God um, relents um, from 
his, his wrath against Nineveh. And so then, so that happens. That's a good event, right? Praise God. Um, 120,000 are saved. That should be an exciting thing. But not for Jonah. Chapter four, four verse one says this. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, that, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I, was, when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to, flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me for it is better for me to die than to live. And, Joe, and the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Uh, verse two of chapter four is the key to the entire book. When we look at Jonah's flight in chapter one, we might conclude that Jonah ran because Nineveh is a great city, a hostile city, a cruel city, and he's afraid. Uh, maybe it's not convenient. But verse two gives us the lens through which to read the entire book of Jonah. Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh because Jonah hates Nineveh. Um, in this time, in this day, the Syrians were a constant threat to Israel. They were um, always a source of oppression. They, they were a very cruel and hostile and wicked group of people. And if you grew up in Israelite, you would have a deep hatred. They were your enemies. Some people say when God tells um, Jonah to go to Nineveh, the capital city of Assyria, it's like asking a Jew to go and preach to a group of Nazis or to ask an African-American brother or sister in Christ to go preach to a group of white supremacists, a group of people that have oppressed them and have treated them cruelly. And you can imagine that, that you can see and sense, I think we can all can at least sense why Jonah would be so angry about that commission God gave him to go and preach to Nineveh. He hates this group of people. And he also knows that God is merciful and gracious and, and abounding in steadfast love. And it's just possible that Nineveh will find grace. And that infuriates Jonah. What's funny about verse two is that we see that Jonah is an excellent theologian. If you were to flip back in your Bibles to Exodus, you don't have to, but Exodus 34 verses six through seven, when, when Moses is in the cleft of the rock and God's presence passes by, you see that when God is revealing himself, to, to, to Moses, what he says about himself is very similar to what you find in verse two, that he's God of grace and mercy and abounding in steadfast love. And Jonah is a great theologian, a great theologian. Uh, a pastor says this, Jonah is a fine theologian. His doctrine of God is impeccable. He confesses the character of God with precise fidelity to biblical revelation, but it is a confession utterly incompatible with his racism and his exclusivity and pride. Jonah wants grace. He wants Israel to have grace, but, but not these savages. They deserve justice. 
And, uh, and God's grace is a threat to Jonah's whole worldview. Um, guys, let's dive into this, 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 this anger of Jonah. What does it reveal about him? What does it reveal about what he loves? How has God's grace threatened something that he loves so dearly? Well, the commentaries in Jonah, they, differ, they, they, they have different interpretations and thoughts of different parts of Jonah, but all of them in the main, they have one consensus, that Jonah is very guilty of nationalistic pride. He is guilty of nationalism. He, his belief that his country is superior. He has an inordinate love, an idolatrous love for his country. And you see that in, in verse, you see that in verse, um, verse two. Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? Or if you flick back to Jonah one verses, um, I think it's verse nine, eight or nine. It's nine. Um, when the sailors are asking Jonah all kinds of questions, the first thing out of his mouth is, I am a Hebrew. All the commentators and, and pastors all agree that, that Jonah has this nationalistic pride, this inordinate love for his homeland. And because of that, he views life, he interprets life through the, through the lens of an Israelite and not as a child of God. Um, a guy named o, o. Palmer Robertson says this, loyalties to family. And I know, by the way, when, when you get read at, it's hard to follow, but Try to track with this. Loyalties to family and to ethnic community, to a political system, tug us toward doing things that identify us with something other than a stranger and a pilgrim with God who has no continuing city in this world. We're always being tugged at by political systems and, and views and politics to, to, to have our identity be those things and not as a child of God, a pilgrim, whose citizenship is in another place. You see that Jonah is angry at God's grace because it threatens his worldview, how the world should operate, and it threatens that what he loves the most, his homeland. And now at this point, every preacher and every commentator takes this and, and turns it onto the reader or to the listener. And then the question's always posed to the reader or to the listener. Um, do you relate to Jonah? Is there a person in your life that you want God to give justice to and not grace? Is there a group of people that you want to see God give justice to and not grace? Or is there, is there traces of, of, of racism and hatred in our, in our hearts? And before I ever accuse you of something, let me be very transparent with you. I love being a Southerner. Love it. I went to Ole Miss. I was a Kappa Alpha order at Ole Miss, and I never really boasted about that because, I mean, who really cares, you know? But I remember my day, my day as I was getting initiated in KA, they gave me one of these. I can't let you read it because I took an oath. If you were to read this, this has some secrets in it, and my, my body would be burned. At least I took that oath if I was to reveal the secrets of Kappa Alpha order, and so I don't want to be set ablaze tonight. So, so, but just know in this book, we have some, some of the secrets of the Kappa Alpha order, but one of these things this book tells me about KAs is that our spiritual founder is General Robert E. Lee. Why? I don't know. But we love our Southern heritage as a KA and as a, an Ole Miss alum. 
And I remember as Ole Miss was making changes to the campus and some of the policies, how angry it was making me. It was threatening my Southern heritage. I was viewing things through the lens of a, as a Southerner and not through the lens uh, as a child of God. How foolish does that sound? But it's true. And guys, I just want to, to point out when we start interpreting life through the lens of, of as, a, as an American first or a Southerner first or as a white man or black man first or as a Republican or Democrat first or as a right wing or left wing first, we find ourselves in the exact same place as Jonah, hating God's grace. Um, and so because it's too general, to, I think, to be like, hey, what group do we hate? What person do we hate? Let me, uh, let me be really honest with you about the wrestling that I've had to do over the last 10 years is God has been ripping out some of these sins that Jonah is so guilty of and I am so guilty of. When it comes to the poor people, I have had this thought and still continue to wrestle with this thought that, that they do not deserve another handout. When we're talking about our African-American brothers or sisters. I've had this thought and, and, and continue to, to sometimes wrestle with this idea of they do not deserve to, to voice a complaint of injustice and oppression. I mean, come on, is it not, can you not just take the blame just a little bit and quit playing the race card, please? Or um, with the immigrants, I've, ha- I've wrestled through and, and still can find traces of this thought of you don't deserve to have the freedoms of this country that I have because I am a citizen and you aren't. Or with the refugee, you do not deserve to, to be here threatening my safety. Or to the homosexual community, you do not deserve compassion waving your rainbow flag in my face. Guys, let me be clear. This is not about politics and what Donald Trump should or should not be doing. It's not. I don't, it, these laws are, laws are complex and, I, and there's a lot of layers and I don't get it all. But America is here today and gone tomorrow. The kingdom of God is Forever. This is not about laws. This is about our hearts. And we see in Jonah that the hypocrisy is so deep, but his blindness to this hypocrisy is just as deep. And for, as for the person maybe who has deeply wronged us, I, have, I wish I could tell you that I have like a list of four probably right now that I'm like, I just wish they, that God would just, I mean, I want a pound of flesh. I don't want grace that gets them off easy. They deserve to pay for wronging me. Some of us in this room have been wronged greatly. Jonah feels like the Israel has been wronged greatly by Assyria and therefore he hates grace. There's something about grace that just grinds against my flesh and everything in me, it, doesn't, it feels alien and unnatural for people to get off easy. They deserve to be punished, which only reveals my legalism and my self-righteousness. 
Like Jonah, I've been shown great grace, huge grace. But I only want so many people to experience that too. Unfortunately, I relate Jonah much more than I wish I did. So we see the first bit of his, his first um, anger moments when it comes to God not destroying the city of Nineveh. But look, at this is, this is so interesting. I gotta hurry. Um, we're almost done here. This uh, second episode of, of Jonah's anger, let's, let's pick up in verse five. Jonah went out um, of the city and sat east of the city and made a booth for himself there. And he sat under, the, sat under it in the shade till he... Um, until he should see what would become of the city. Jonah still is hoping that the city would be destroyed. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come over Jonah, up over Jonah, and that, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Now notice, Jonah was exceedingly glad. Notice the great contrast to verse one where Jonah is exceedingly angry and displeased. It's there for a reason. He's exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a warm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. We see God's sovereignty over creation, by the way. And the sun blazed, beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, is it better for me to die than to, it is better for me to die than live. Verse nine, but God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? Jonah didn't respond to that the first time. He responds this time. Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also this is always the strangest end of any book. And also much cattle. What? We'll get to, hope we might get to that. We'll see. Um, Jonah's next episode of rage comes over a plant. A plant that gave him great comfort, gave him shade, gave him peace. He was able to relax. He loved this plant. So much that when God takes it away, he wants to die. He's so angry over it. And it seems so stupid. And it is so stupid. Until I start examining my life. Um, You can ask Jenna how excited I am that college football begins tomorrow. I've talked about it for about, what, where, I don't know where you're at, Jenna, but like six weeks now. Jenna, we're like a 99 days out. Can you believe it? We're almost here. And I remember it was a few years ago, I, I switched my cable provider from Comcast to DirecTV. If you work for either one of those companies, I'm not trying to plug one or the other. I'm just saying that happens. And, uh, and so, but I remember I wasn't aware that with DirecTV that, that if there was a, a, a big storm that I could lose my picture for a few minutes. And uh, so it's the opening weekend of college football and my picture goes out because of rain. And boy, are you kidding me? I mean, I am on the phone. I'm, I, you know how that conversation goes. Can I speak to your boss? No, let me speak to your boss. Let me find somebody who can, who can right this wrong. Injustice has happened and I need this to be corrected now. And so I finally get a hold of a person that can do something about it. And, and she's like, well, okay. Um, and by the way, the picture went out for maybe 15 minutes. And, uh, and I, uh, I remember um, 
her saying, well, okay, well, how about this? What if we just gave you, uh, we'll, we'll reimburse you for the whole day's worth of TV. I was like, that seems fair. Thank you. All right, we'll reduce your bill $2.12. I was like, <laughs> oh, great. The amount of rage I had, because again, this is, you're threatening my love, my comfort. My, this is the place where I, find, where I get to relax. I love college football this much. It's so stupid. And then I realized, like Jonah, how enraged I've been over the years as a brother, one of my brothers in Christ has only received grace and blessing and prosperity when I'm like, you have wronged me deeply and you never repented. When you look at it like that, it's like, there's something really wrong. The hypocrisy runs really deep. My concern for the small things, the who cares things. I mean, how many times do we get a new trinket or item that we love and it breaks and we're like, we, we lose our mind. Yet some injustice happens. And we find ourselves not angry because an injustice happens. We're angry at the people that the injustice occurred against. What is wrong with us? What is wrong with me? Unfortunately, I relate to Jonah much more than I care to admit. And my hypocrisy, my inordinate loves, my idolatry, my value system that is completely jacked up is fully on display. And uh, by the way, when we get to this cattle thing, I think, I think my best guess with it is God is trying to point out how insignificant the plant is. I mean, we're talking about you don't care about the city of Nineveh, these people. Um, even the cattle are more valuable than this plant. Like this is how insane this is. Guys, my point is I think we all walk in here with some sort of re- seeds or traces or roots that are very similar to Jonah's. Our anger has, has revealed our hearts. We have found ourselves with biases and racism and prejudices because we have, we have, a mistake, we have, we have the wrong identity. And we have inordinate loves. We have had people that have wronged us deeply. And we want the world to operate the way we think it should. And we have been exposed just like Jonah. And the story ends without knowing what does Jonah do? What does he do? And that's intentional. Because the reader's left with, what are we gonna do? Do we side with Jonah? Or do we side with God? Do we repent like Jonah's called to repent? Or do we go deeper into our idolatry and our bitterness and our racism and our mistaken identity? The, uh, over the years, as I've seen some growth of these areas, I, I come to realize that the only way we can possibly change is to have our hearts change. And the only way our hearts change is if we truly, truly meditate on this whole idea that, that, that if we meditate and think deeply on 
the Son of God being lifted up on a cross. And as he's being lifted up on a cross, he cries out, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Jesus said to a Pharisee one time that those who have been forgiven little love little. And so in my head, I know I've been forgiven of sins. And in my head, I know that, that, um, that God has shown me grace. But it's gotta go from here to here. It's gotta be something that I own, that becomes my identity, becomes the lens through which I interpret all things. And so instead of being God, saying, God, I know you have a heart for the oppressed. I know you have a heart for the poor, a heart for, for the one who is weak, the one who is vulnerable. I know you have a heart for those people, but, but, but that doesn't fit in my value system. I find myself now seeing things through the lens of the gospel and I, my heart breaks for the poor because all those statements I saw it said earlier, you know what they, you saw what was in there. They don't deserve. You see my heart of hating grace. And now all of a sudden it's compared to, it's, now grace doesn't threaten my idolatry. Grace is right in line with what I want, with what I believe. So God, be merciful to the poor. God, be merciful to our brothers and sisters who are oppressed. And our, our demeanor, our attitudes, our views, they just kind of change. I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'm asking all of us to examine our hearts and why do we get so angry? Why does Colin Kaepernick taking, taking a knee make me so angry? So, the, so only until we drink deeply on the gospel message can we have any hope of progress and heart, and heart change. But the good news, and I'll leave you with this, as we still, as we try to and work towards and by God's grace, hopefully bridge this gap between our theology and our heart attitude, we should be comforted to know that the same God, the God that relentlessly pursued his rebellious, stubborn, hypocritical prophets is the same God you and I serve. And as God had every right to cast Jonah off in chapter four, again, we see him coming to him in grace and exposing his heart graciously. And that is my only hope. My only hope is God's grace. That's what everything's banked upon. And so would we take great joy that we have a God that pursues us with grace and mercy, with a steadfast love, and then drink deeply in the gospel message, and would that become our identity and the way we interpret our lives? Father, um, I, I'm a great sinner. And I would like to think that I've made more progress than I, and I'm, I'm thankful for the progress that you have done in these last 10 years. But Father, there's still so much traces and so many roots of, of just things that are just so ugly. Uh, my sin is great, my hypocrisy is great, my idolatry is great, I love the most strangest of things. And I desperately need grace. Would you change us? Would you convict us? Father, I'm, I have this tendency to see life through the lens of a white man 
through a, as a conservative and a southerner lens, and, and Father, would you, would you change that and help me see through the lens, the gospel lens? Would you convince me that I am indeed a great sinner and in need of great grace so that I could extend that to other people? Change us, Father, we need you. We thank you for your steadfast love, your patience with us. We are not deserving. We are like Jonah. And uh, we recognize that our only righteousness and our only hope is found in the cross. Jesus, thank you for what you've done for us. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Guys, uh, thank you all for letting me be with you tonight. And um, it's always a, uh, a privilege. So have a good night.